You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hey guys, I hope all of you are doing well. Jen Lazan here with HalfStackMag.com. This episode of Half Stack Highlights was equal parts hard and equal parts inspiring for me. On one hand, I had the opportunity to talk with an amazing woman who's using her skills, her talent, and her huge platform to help other people. But on the other hand, we're talking about war, we're talking about refugees, and we're talking about people who are facing atrocities that I could never imagine no matter how hard I had it growing up. Over the last year, I've been really battling between what I created Half Stack to be, an entertainment, fashion, a cultural publication, and what it has evolved to be, something that's so much deeper than I ever thought it could be. While so many people read the Half Stack quarterly issues, They listen to this podcast, Half Stack Highlights, or they visit our website to escape the hardships of the world, or to be entertained and to look at beautiful things. Many people also read us and listen to us to be inspired. I don't want to be afraid to go in this direction, to continue to share stories, even if they aren't pretty, but I want to share them if we can somehow make a difference. We released our first international issue this week. It's in dual language in both English and Arabic in Tarek Al-Sad and Tom Olson, who are two of our amazing senior editors, were the masterminds behind it. And I realized when they asked me about doing it, just how far our voices and our platform reach from Chicago to the Middle East to places even farther than never in a million years I would have thought we would be read over four years ago and I'm sorry if I sound emotional it's just this episode is just something that I think is really important it needs to be heard today so as you all might know our next issue goes up in September and even though it's usually our our major fashion and our major music issue Laura who is my side girl my sidekick my number one our lead photographer she's our creative director she she helps with the vision of what we are she and I decided to do something a little different and I think it really relates well to this episode that you're about to listen to today. Rather than shy away from the hardships of the darkness that we're seeing in the world, we wanted to find a way to share people's stories, to create beauty out of destruction. We asked this question, will love spark change? Not to be naive, but to genuinely hear the thoughts of a diverse group of people from all walks of life. The guest I have on today's episode talked to me a lot about this and she made some beautifully poignant 
remarks about finding our humanity again and just learning to love each other again. Because deep down, we are all the same. No matter our color, no matter our religion, no matter the place we come from. We breathe the same air, we bleed the same blood. We each have a heart and a mind keeping us going. We all hurt, we all cry, we all can find moments of happiness, and we all can love. On this most recent episode of Half Stack Highlights, I had the opportunity to speak with comedian, actress, and activist Milana Weintrub. You guys may know her as a comedian and an actress, She's most well known for her hilarious AT&T commercials. But I know of Milana for a much different reason. I was exposed to an organization that she founded and that is doing some incredible work in the refugee crisis. Milana's story is an inspirational one in of itself, but her organization, can'tdonothing.org, is what I truly believe will be a part of her legacy. She brings happiness to the world through her comedy but she's changing the world through her activism. I wrote an article in her summer issue that some of you might have read about her organization, but I wanted to get the opportunity to have her share her story and, and share what led her to launching this in her own words. I was going to take some time to work on editing and release this episode in line with her editorial schedule, but then I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning to an article on NPR that just brought me to my knees. As a mother, it hit home so hard. Anytime I see children affected in Syria, I see my own daughters in their eyes. I realize the privilege that my babies have. Something that I worked so hard to give them that I didn't have. But it hurts my soul to know their babies, their kids, and their teenagers and mamas and papas and women and men who are fleeing for their lives. Last year, the world witnessed the drowning of the three-year-old Syrian boy, Elan Kurdi, and my baby girl was just about to turn three. And then Thursday, today, we learned the story of Umran Nakish, the five-year-old boy who was brought into the hospital after an airstrike. You guys all saw that picture. It went viral. He's small. He's alone. He's covered in blood and dust. What just killed me is that he wasn't even crying. My baby girl scrapes her knee and it's like the world comes crashing down but he's not even crying. He doesn't even say a word. He looks stunned, but he doesn't look surprised. He doesn't look surprised that this is happening to him. He doesn't look surprised about the things that he's being exposed to. And I looked at this little boy and I think back to my oldest daughter who's eight and she's going into third grade. And I think about when she was five and at that point, the hardest thing that we had to deal with was what to pack for lunch for kindergarten. I cried this morning reading this article. 
and that's why I feel so emotional talking about this today and I apologize. I hurt, I get frustrated. I don't want to get into politics, but this is such a political and controversial and serious, serious issue. I watch on Facebook as I see people making ridiculous claims during this election, painting people who are fleeing from war-torn countries as the enemy and as the bad guys. I have unfriended and unfollowed so many people that I don't even want to admit how many. What so many people who are blinded by fear don't realize is the people that we're seeing in this crisis are afraid too. What these people are doing is running away from the bad guys, as Milana so bluntly put it in our conversation. But I know, I know in my heart of hearts that there's hope. I love that Milana's only hope is that one day there isn't going to be a need for her organization. That she can just go back to being funny that we can put an end to this war that we all seem so removed from. That's the hope. But the reality is that it's going on. People are dying. Babies are dying. Children can't go to school. But we can do something. Milana's doing something through can'tdonothing.org and we can help her and all of the organizations that she's helping to try and at least make a difference in places like Syria and Jordan and Aleppo today. Just because we can't see something doesn't mean that it's not there. We need to find our humanity again. I hope, I hope so much that this episode inspires you. I hope that it instills something in you, as Milana has sparked in me. I don't have much, but I have enough to find a way to help in my own way. And I hope that each of you can too. Milana, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and interview for the Hashtag Highlights podcast. I'll just jump right in with our first question. Um, okay. I kind of want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So can you please share a bit about yourself, perhaps your journey and your career, and then tell us a bit about what led you to launch Can'tDoNothing.org. My career as it stands now is mostly as an actress and comedian. I uh, do a lot of the AT&T commercials, and I perform stand-up and improv in L.A. and New York. And that's been a majority of my career. And then, like, some TV stuff. I think just, like, what you're doing with the commercials and how you're branching out. And I feel like a lot of actors tend to start in, like, the, you know, the comedy world, stand-up, improv, um, as they grow their career. But I just I think what you're doing right now is just it seems so fun. And you have, like, what most people probably think is a glamorous lifestyle. But I think as we lead into you telling us more about your journey, it'll be interesting to juxtapose, you know, what you're doing with Can't Do Nothing versus what you're doing in Hollywood and New York. Yeah. 
I I think it's funny to think of it as glamorous because I <laughs> I'm like looking around my apartment right now and it's such a mess. <laughs> like when I think real. of my yes. life as glamorous is so so far from the truth. But it is. I am very grateful for it. It's a it's yeah. a great life, and I've certainly been given lots of wonderful gifts. But um, I started my life in Uzbekistan, which you know the former socialist state and not very welcoming to Jewish people. So everything after that is a plus. Like I could still be living there, you know. Um, so it certainly does create a, a big sense of gratitude and it's very humbling to think of um, what life could have been and what life is. And so when I was two years old, my family left Uzbekistan and we came to America um, through a long refugee immigration process where we lived in Austria and Italy and the whole thing took about a year and a half until we got to Los Angeles. And my, I had some family here previously, but still it was really hard for my parents, especially. I always felt like I was fine because I had my grandparents and my neighbor friends and I went to a school that I loved. So um, I never really at a young age didn't understand truly what it meant to to be an immigrant or to be a refugee or to have anything less, really. Um, But uh, my parents worked really hard, and I certainly was their translator because kids pick up language so fast that I think from a young age, you know, my dad was taking me to job interviews and meetings, and (laughs) and then after somebody would say something, he would look at me and be like, what did they say? (laughs) <laughs> and then I would translate it for him as, like, a six-year-old, you know. Yeah. So uh, there, I actually, like, think of that as kind of a perk of the the immigration process. And then um, a couple years ago, my dad and I well, – not a couple years ago. This was um, uh, just last fall. My dad and I went to Greece on vacation, and mm-hmm. – I had never been to Greece, and I certainly didn't know much about it. Um, I knew a little bit about the refugee situation there, but also kind of only what was coming up in the news here and a little Mm -hmm. bit on my social media feed, which was not a lot. And um, it really wasn't until I was out there and I started seeing the news and hearing more of the articles. I mean, the front pages of magazines were pictures of children screaming for their lives. And yeah. there was a little boy who washed up on shore. Yeah, just, I remember that. Just a couple that weeks prior. Me. Yeah. I think that shook a lot of people because I think it's very easy for us. Part of the way that we are so proficient at turning blind eyes and we've done this forever as a species, is we are able to say that person is different from us, so we don't need to have compassion for them. It's how we were able to colonize America. (laughs) It's how we've been able to conquer. It's how we were able to have slaves. It's We say that these people are different. It's, It's exactly what Hitler did to the Jews. I mean, it's happened so many times in human history that we've been able to say this group of people looks different or speaks different or believes different, thus we don't have to care about them. And that is a big raging pile of steaming horseshit. So I have a really hard time with that. And um, I don't fully understand it. And I 
I'm glad to, I guess. Um, and so when I was in Greece and really understanding about what was happening there, I, um, I started to look for ways to get involved in ways I could volunteer, ways I could use my social media presence to draw attention to different organizations and charities that were doing things there. And, um, and so I donated to a big charity and I still didn't feel better. <laughs> and yeah. I, um, I, when I was in Athens, which was the last stop, we had gone to a couple islands in Greece. The last stop was Athens. And there I started to see more opportunities to help. I, um, yeah. just through Facebook, I heard about a, a meeting there that were, there was like a bunch of young Greek people who were turning these abandoned buildings because in Greece, so many of the buildings are, is, are empty because the economy there is so bad. So there were yeah. these people that were turning buildings into places for refugees to sleep. And I thought that was so wonderful. And there, um, is when the seeds started to get planted in me to go to Lesbos. Kind of like also what you guys do with your magazine. I think like, one of the great things about telling stories about people who are doing good things in the world is that it inspires other people to feel like it's manageable. Because yeah. one of the biggest inspiring things for me was seeing a video of a young girl in Macedonia passing out sandwiches at the border before people got on trains. And I thought yeah. she was like the coolest, sexiest, smartest, <laughs> most wonderful thing. I was just like, I want to be like her. Yeah. And, um, and so when the, you know, when, when the time arose for me to decide to go to Lesbos, it, it was a very easy decision. It was a very easy decision. So then it was time for me to go home, and I decided, I, I really had to decide if I was going to go to Lesbos or not. And um, I changed my ticket and went to Lesbos instead, and I spent a week out there. And that's when... Um, I realized that if I film this, yeah. I would be able to inform more people about it than if I yeah. was just there by myself. Um, so I did that. And then uh, when I got home, I edited together this little video, about 13 minutes long. And uh, with that, I've been able to drive people to places where they could volunteer. Because I think a lot of what happens especially with the refugee crisis, which feels so far away and yeah. so big, right? It's affecting millions of people on the other side of the world. And yes. also so much of our media, of American media, is painting them as scary people rather yeah. than people who are running from the scary people. Yeah. And I thought that this video could could plant small seeds of compassion in people and um and so I created this website called can'tdonothing.org that gave people the opportunity to share their time, their money or their voice in making a difference in the lives of refugees. I think that's what's so inspirational though too is that you you took the time to find the humanity in it all and yeah we are so disconnected, but taking that moment and putting in that effort to connect yourself and then share that on your platform, it's just, it opens the door for, like you said, inspiring other people to do great things because we can, yeah. we can change do, the world. Do, even do good things. Steps. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, like, even just to inspire people to do good things. I feel yeah. like great things sometimes feels like that's bigger than you, too, right? Yeah. Like, I certainly didn't ever seek to do a great thing. I thought that I could do a good thing, and then yeah. that good thing led to another opportunity to do a good thing, and then another opportunity to do a good thing. And when your priorities are always in line with – when the question you're asking yourself isn't, how do I become great? But when the question is you're asking yourself is how can I contribute? Yeah. Then the greatness or the goodness or the accomplishments, those provide yeah. themselves. Those arise for you. You don't have to, yeah. you don't really have to seek them out much, much higher. When you're, when you're, heart is in the right place. I do think that it's a lot easier to make those kind of decisions and, and notice them when they appear in front of you. Yeah. And you attract them. So For speaking sure. of can'tdo.org, what yeah. is the vision and mission behind the organization then? What are you hoping to accomplish this year with your launch? I know you mentioned getting people to either donate you know, money, their time, or use their voice to share what is going on with the refugee crisis. But what are, yes. what are you hoping to do this upcoming year with this? And maybe share some more about the vision and mission with people who may not be familiar with it. Can't Do Nothing has become an uprising against inaction. It's a way for people to say, I mean, people are constantly saying, I don't know what I can do, but I can't do nothing. Yeah. And so people share a Facebook photo or they make their profile picture different. And I think that's great and fine, but it's not a substitute for action. And if it feeds the part of you that wants to do something good, if it quells that fire, then it's actually not good. So um, that's what Can't Do Nothing is hoping to be and growing to be. I finally am at a place where I'm getting some, some great help with Can't Do Nothing. For a while, it's been a very, very small operation. I think that um, it's it's growing some legs, and I'm going to be releasing some new videos in September and October mm-hmm. um, because I just got back from Jordan, and that is also in line with, with Can't Do Nothing Changing because it's really becoming um, a place for people to meet other people and to hear inspirational stories and to no longer sit idly by when there's a catastrophe happening on the other side of the world that you can't connect or, or can't touch, can't you feel like yeah. you can't impact that. This is the part of the videos that I want to make is showing people the impact that they have already had because the money that's been donated through Can't Do Nothing to an organization like the Syria Fund, and we support mm-hmm multiple really great, often very small organizations that are doing great work. The Syria Fund, for example, they work on giving education to children in Jordan. So there's Syrian refugees um, who have now settled in Jordan, which is just a little bit south of Syria. And Mm -hmm. you can see Syria from places in Jordan, like you can see mountains of Syria. Mm -hmm. And so people have escaped there. And now what? Okay, so they think they're going to leave their home for a Mm -hmm. month or two while things are crazy and there is this war, and then five years have passed. And they are living in a country where they do not have the same rights as the citizens, and they don't have a visa or passport, and they're not allowed to work. Um, So they find 
small jobs here and there, um, or they live in refugee camps. And um, that's not thriving. <laughs> that's yeah. not a way yeah. to, I mean, not that the refugee camps aren't amazing considering the flood of people that have come in. What the UNHCR has managed to accomplish in this crisis is beyond my understanding. The amount yeah. of people that they've been able to facilitate is incredible. They still need more help. They still have so much more work to do, and they know it, and the refugees know it. And what's crazy is it's so easy to say, um, well, you know, they got their they got their food ticket, and they have a roof over their head, and they're not in war, so that's fine. But that is not living. Um, you see, you see three-dimensional human beings who miss their home. Yeah. They just miss their hometown. And Syria is not like America where everybody is from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Most of the people from Syria are generations deep. And... They grew up there. Their parents grew up there. They have built their home. They have painted their walls. They have gotten education to be computer scientists and dental hygienists and all of their, it's, it's, it's fully dimensional. You know, it's, I think mm -hmm. it's so easy to say like refugees, people fleeing from war or Muslims, people who believe in one thing or another. And I think it's so easy to forget that these are people who love their wives and love their children. And so like some of the most surprising things for me, and it, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was still so, it wasn't like a, uh, it was more of a reminder rather than a lesson, but it was a reminder that people need love. They need more than just shelter and they need more than just a meal. They need their families and they need their communities and they need to have a sense of purpose. That is like, that's why so many people are depressed. I think so many people in America are looking for meaning and so many people in other parts of the world are looking for help. And the secret is we can help each other because you get so much meaning from contributing to someone else's life. You get so part much self-worth, right? Um, so that's another thing. I mean, there's so many dimensions to what makes us feel fulfilled or joyful or even healthy as people. The other thing a lot of people don't think about is they see people in refugee camps, and that's one thing. But in Jordan, 80% of the refugees are not living in camps. They're living in urban poverty. So one of the amazing things that the Syria Fund does is provide education to the children living in urban environments, which is incredible. I mean, if you really think about like, how do you want to make change? For me, there's, I mean, there's many things. One of them is work to create peace in Syria so that people can eventually go back. And that works with your talking to your, your legislators and your community politicians and the, the people that make choices here about voting for no-fly zones and things like that in Syria, but yep. it's, a, it's a big, big mission, and I think it's accomplishable. The other thing is, how do you take care of the people that are already in this situation? How do you take care of the person that started this 
this journey when they were 13 and they were young and impressionable and now they're turning 18 and they are now an adult and all they have experienced for their formative or for most of their puberty for their teenage years is yeah. living in a tent in Jordan. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you, how do you take care of that person? And so what the Syria fund is doing in terms of providing education to young children is I really believe that they are curing future generations. They are providing a source of joy and enlightenment and kindness and love to kids who probably would be staying home, bored out of their minds, with their parents who are also having a very, very difficult time. Yeah. So giving joy and education is a great thing. I mean, like, and you know, I know that a lot of people don't want to talk about the Syrian refugee crisis because it's controversial in whatever way. You have to educate the public, though, on what is going on because if we're not educated on the realities, how are we going to pursue those changes? I think that's Exactly. That's the part that is is really surprising is that people don't talk about the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring up the controversial element of it is because you can't really argue with providing education. As an immigrant yourself, I know you were really young when you guys immigrated, but I'm sure you witnessed, you bore witness to the immigration experience from your family, your mom, your dad. Were there any obstacles on your guys' journey? And, and so how did you overcome it? And how do you feel it's affected the individual you are today? And do you think that maybe the, the, the refugees that are that are coming here today, that are trying to escape, that are trying to make, you know, new lives in different places, you know, is there anything that they can do to better acclimate or better, you know, fight for their own rights as well as they're trying to escape all of this hardship? Yes, I think that there were lots of very difficult obstacles for my family when we moved here. That being said, I think we had a lot of help from Jewish community when we got Mm -hmm. to America because there were already communities in place. There were already systems here designed to help us. Um, Also, we're white. And it's not something to overlook. It's not like, it is a huge, huge, huge privilege. And the fact that we can, my mom could walk into a store and not speak English and people would think that she was cute and helpless. Very different than when a Muslim woman who is covered up walks into a place and doesn't speak English. I mean, even just me telling you that, you are imagining that picture and you know what that feels like. Yeah. You you can see that. You know that there's a difference and it's undeniable. Yeah. As difficult as it was, we still had a leg up. I think that there are some people who are already doing really cool things. There's a, if you go to Facebook and you look up refugees.tv, there are mm-hmm. refugees in a camp in Greece who are starting to create content. Um, there are people who are posting on Facebook and sharing their experience and creating community and building you know, building things out of scraps in their camps and trying to get jobs. And even even when I was in Lesbos and there were people coming off boats and had no idea what was in store for them, there were 
refugees who stuck around to translate and to help and to guide and that I mean to to be so selfless and forward thinking and caring that was that was really cool. I don't lose hope and keep yeah understanding that that you are loved and that there are people around you who are trying to make it better. And also that you have the ability to make it better. You, They probably know what they could do better than I know what they could do. But it's scary to make a big decision like that. It's scary to make a jump. It's scary to rock the boat when you have no foundation. I was reading statistics that a majority of, of the people that are, are they're young boys who are like 13, 14 years old going out by themselves to... Like it's just I have I have kids, I have two daughters, I cannot even imagine. Like Yeah, there were a lot of young people. Yeah. I know, I know. Well the a lot of the times the older people feel too scared to to travel, to yeah. to move. So it is it is all sorts of, of reasons why kids are alone. But it is yeah. it's totally scary. And then in terms of like what obstacles I've overcome that have helped me I think every obstacle I think every time it's been difficult every every time I've been different I've been a woman I've been everything like everything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger that I mean that is so so deeply part of my mentality there's like a difficulty there too because I think that trauma is a real thing um and I think that I've been like fortunate enough to get mental health and yeah. physical health and all of these things treated so that really like that, again a huge huge privilege I think that things that have have been difficult for me have certainly shaped me and I think that there's part of the reason I believe that I could start a nonprofit or help people that are living on the other side of the world is because I do believe I could do anything you yeah. know it's like I, I'm saying that and I'm like I, I hear myself and I know that it, it sounds crazy, but I think that everyone could do anything with the support of a, of a community, uh, a healthy mindset, and a purpose that's driven around love. So I think a lot of what you're doing, Milana, it, you're, you're really using social media as kind of like a spark to really push for change, to make people aware. And I think that's the positive aspect of what you're doing because it's, it's been incredibly effective. But I also think that there's this negative side of social media and media in general. You know, the idea of media being run by the elites and sharing what they want to share. Um, and I think that's very evident within the crisis. When we first started talking, you, you said, like, you know, you, you only saw what you saw and it wasn't that much on, on you know, on TV or on social media. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, what can people do to ensure that, that they're not being blindsided by, you know, false information? And what can they do to ensure that they can keep an open mind about the people who are the victims within this ongoing struggle? Being aware that the news media is often there to get more views. They are business. They are not a civil service. <laughs> Unfortunately, like the news is a lot of the times the news is used to to be another form of politics. Yeah, there is an agenda to a uh, to, to to information. 
Um, I mean, like I have an agenda and it's hard to not have an agenda. My goal yeah. is to encourage people to, to see this, this crisis in a new way. It's hard to not, yeah. to not have a goal or an intention. Um, so, so be aware of that. I think in general, a great method of practicing open-mindedness is it's like it's what we learned in kindergarten it's put yourself in the other person's shoes yeah. and practice the golden rule treat people the way you'd like to be treated being human 101 yes <laughs> introduction to humanity <laughs> that is a great way i think what happens when we start getting closed-minded is when we are afraid when we do have a fear that's driving us because we need to be self-protective because it becomes about me first and my needs and if I give something to that person then I won't have enough yeah and um, I actually think that's not true I think that when you give someone your time you find that your time is more valuable and when you help someone even financially you Mm -hmm. see that there is an opportunity there for you to to give which is a huge gift to yourself yeah Yeah. um and i also all this being said i do really believe in taking care of yourself i think that there is a you need to apply your oxygen mask before you can help anyone else However, I do think that after your oxygen mask is on, after you have a roof over your head and enough money to feed yourself and your family, after you feel like you have ground to stand on and enough room in your heart to give, then that's a great time to do it. Where do you hope to see org in the next two years? What are your hopes for the people who are struggling? Or we're trying to find solace in more torn countries right now. Yeah, I think those are two very different questions. First, with what I hope for the people that are looking for solace is that, I mean, in a perfect world, I hope that the world, the war in Syria ends, yeah. and that people can return home, and that there is enough financial backing from other countries to start rebuilding Syria and everyone who's in the refugee camps can now go and start working on making their home country what it once was, which will take a long time, but people will so gladly go home to do it. Yeah. That's one, that's, that's my biggest, biggest, biggest wish. And the other side of that, the thing that I want for can't do nothing is um, I'd love to create Spreading compassion. I'd love for the website to look super cool. I think that's happening pretty soon. I would love for people to get really engaged with the charities that we are supporting and continue finding ways to donate, but volunteer and spread messages of love and affirmation. There's a lot of room for people to grow. But I think if Can't Do Nothing can facilitate that, great. I'm I'm really not about creating a charity. Like, it's so yeah. not where, where I want to be. You want to create um, build, building. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, I want, I'm a comedian. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a professional, silly person. And here I am talking about these very serious,
serious, somber things with you because they need yeah. to be addressed because that is, that's what feels urgent to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would like in two years. In two years, I would like for the war to be over, for people to be back in theory or rebuilding, and I would like to just be a comedian. That's what mm-hmm. I really like. <laughs> for the time being, though, obviously, there are a lot of people that need a lot of help. So what can our listeners, what can our readers do who want to get involved, who want to help, who want to donate or give their time? What can they do? In the meantime, for everyone, um, visit can'tdonothing.org, and there you'll find ways to help. That's the whole reason that we created the website is for people, when they say, what can I do? All you have to do is go to this website, and there's literally a list of opportunities there and charities that I have vetted that I know are doing great things. And often they're very small charities who are either volunteer-run or there's like one or two people who work there. So um, it's a great place to give and continue continue talking about it. That's one of the greatest things. Build tolerance. Realize that people are people everywhere and that society is is what changes us. So the other thing, like I, when I was in Jordan, I was teaching an art class and I've also taught in Tanzania, in Africa, and I've taught in America and children everywhere are the same. Yeah. They're the same. They're silly and they're shy (laughs) and they're quiet and they're loud and they stick to their best friend or they hug the parent's leg. They're all the same. It's the it's the evolution. It's about like your environment that creates who you are. And let's create great environments for our children. They are our future. Are you guys also on social media? I think that, you know, from what I've seen, you guys are using social media to really help grow movement it's almost like your your guys are practicing social activism um what about your social media sites what 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 are your handles uh can't do nothing on twitter mm-hmm. and i'm working on getting a can't do nothing instagram but right now it's cdn generation hey everyone it's jen here if you're interested in learning more about milana and can't do nothing please visit their site at can'tdonothing.org and you'll learn more about ways you can volunteer ways you can share the message and ways you can donate as always thank you for your support